Let me paint a picture for you of 10 years ago. My second oldest son, Garrett, was five years old. And we were in Phoenix, Arizona for the state chess championship. Of all things, for our family to be in the state chess championship kind of cracks me up. But he was a mental tactician and still is to this day. And he found this niche in chess that just struck a chord with him. And he was so competitive and so good at it. And interestingly, I had never really been exposed to chess at all. Growing, I did, I've never played chess until Garrett got into playing chess. And um, he beat me every single game. He's very good at it at five years old. And we went down for the state championship. He'd made his way through the local and then the regional, and now he's in the state championship. And what a crazy thing. We went down there, and none of the parents spoke English. They spoke Indian. They spoke Chinese, Japanese, everything, it seemed, but American. I felt like I was the only person there that wasn't working for some computer company. Uh, it was It was pretty crazy. And he ended up getting fifth place in the state of Arizona in chess and I could visibly see the faces of the parents of all the kids that he (laughs) beat they were so unbelievably distraught that this little toe-headed blonde-haired blue-eyed kid from Flagstaff had just beat their amazingly smart uh, chess champion Prodigy. prodigy child that's private schooled and super intelligent, and I thought, this is great, because I'm a competitive person anyway. I just relished in it. And the funniest thing was the fifth-place trophy was almost five feet tall, and at that point, Garrett was no more than three and a half, four feet tall at the, at the most. This trophy was enormous. And I remember Garrett going to get his trophy and picking it up, and I thought, oh, my gosh, this trophy is giant. And at that point, we hadn't had a lot of trophies for him. <clears throat> he, he's had hundreds of trophies since. But to this day, that five-year-old fifth place state championship trophy is the largest trophy that he has. And it's funny because ultimately, I think it's probably the one he likes the least. He is <clears throat> ultra competitive in golf and in uh, hockey and baseball and whatever he's doing. Skiing. He is ultimate. He's just the ultimate competitor. And uh, I think he looks at that trophy with a little disdain because it's the largest trophy he's got and probably one of the most well-deserved trophies he has because he is super hardcore into chess at that point. Um, But it's just funny looking back on that now with such a competitive family that he got the biggest trophy of his life at five years old and now he's almost 15 and he has hundreds of ribbons for hockey and for golf and here's this giant five-foot-tall trophy in the corner that he doesn't pay any attention to. So as we move through this, we're talking about... um... Today's fireside conversation is really a heart-to-heart discussion about our final aspect of PhD, the S of scars and trophies. It's really a just the sharing of our journey through different trials, tests, and triumphs, and how we've come through the other side of many of these tests and come to that space of evaluating, is this a scar or a trophy? 
we haven't been with you for about nearly a month because we really have been walking out and living our PhD journey. And we've had some big scars and trophy tests in the last months, truly. It almost seems like every day there's a new test or triumph that we're walking through. And so today we're just really open up our hearts and sharing with you different areas in our life of how we have come through scars and trophies. And we invite you to really evaluate and introspect on where you are along the journey of your own earning PhD. So one of the first things that we're going to do is just open up and share, just have a candid conversation between Preston and I and discuss our first memories and moments of transformation of scars and trophies. Yeah. So Kelsey, in in your opinion, what is one of the earliest memories of either a scar or a trophy? I guess it's a two-part question. Yeah. What's your earliest memory of a scar and a trophy? Well, you know, you kind of go back to those first days of growing up. And I think for me, I was an only child and raised in a private Catholic school. And I realized I was different than most other kids. At five years old, my parents were divorced and I was in a setting where pretty much there's lots of kids in the family. I was an only child and all the other families had lots of kids and I had divorced parents and everybody else's parents were not. And then I was six years old and I was abused uh, sexually from a family member. And I went back to my Catholic school and to the priest and confession and I felt like I was really like the black sheep and I I felt like nobody understood me here I was this lonely only child I felt so scarred I felt so isolated I felt so just dirty unknown afraid alone and I did not know how to process really all the things that were happening to me and uh, you know it was really now looking back, it's affected me in many ways. Uh, just you know, in our relationship, of just processing sexual wounds are huge, and at a young age. Um, but that I think you know, for I remember at thirteen, I finally came to a place where I felt like I overcome it, and just the battle in my head because I had never told, and I really didn't tell anybody until we got married, but. And none of my family members know still to this day. And so, you know, just kind of feeling like you've been wounded and scarred and and it's deep and you can't share anything because if you do, it will be the ending of your family. That was huge for me and I didn't really know how to handle it because I was that little girl kind of quiet and afraid and all alone and dad was gone and mom was here and, and all of my world around me were good little Catholic girls and boys and families, and I wasn't. Yeah, and what an enormous burden for a six-year-old girl to have to shoulder and hide and compartmentalize and not try to figure that out on your own when the world is already crazy and you don't have the mental capacity to really process that. And, And then you're afraid to talk about it because of all the whatever it is that comes to your mind that could possibly happen if you do tell 
Yeah. That's, that's enormous. It was huge. I just remember, weight. you know, you go in those little confession cubicles and I just wanted the priest on the other side to say something, like, mm. tell me it would be okay. Mm. And you just go and you just, you know, you speak through this little kind of filter screen and you just say it. It's just like your dumping box, mm. but the person on the other side can't say anything. And I just remember feeling like I would feel better that I can go. And I think I went <laughs> and I said it every time we could go to confession because we used to, in, in uh, school, we would go to mass you know, a few times a week and every time I would go and we would have confession like once a week and we'd go to the priest and sit in our little black room and, and I would, I think I would say the same thing every time and mm. just hoping I would feel better. I'm just hoping maybe he would finally say something like, mm. it's okay. But no, like, and I just kept having to process it. But yeah, I think at 13, uh, when it was actually, you know, one of the most transformational moments when my mom had this is another huge scar my mom had technically abandoned me so abuse and abandonment were huge scars for mm-hmm. me um to go with another man and get married to you know I was a single she's a single mom I was the only child so we had each other and I did not like men coming in and disrupting and you know my view of men in sexual were was hurtful up until that point and wasn't really ever shown a healthy view of that. And so, you know, at 13, she fell in love and she said she was going to marry this man. And she ultimately gave me the choice. I remember standing in the room. She said, if I have to choose, I'm going to choose him. And, and you know, I, I, I kind of stumble through saying those words even right now because it's not really reflective of my mom's heart. But I think in the moment... She didn't want to be manipulated by a child, and she knew as an adult the boundary she had to set to go forward in her life, and she knew I was holding her back. Um, so, you know, it, it can sound worse than it is because I could kind of understand where she was coming from. She really wanted to start her life over. But when she moved to Colorado at that same moment, my dad was in jail and had given his life to the Lord when somebody was witnessing to him in jail. Then we started, he came out of jail and we started going to church. And when we started going to church, I got baptized. And that was the first moment that like, I really felt like I really knew how to process my emotions. Like the spirit of God came alive in my life. So real. And it was like, I was set free. Like that was really when I was baptized at 13 and I became just infused with the Holy spirit. And I knew it was such a transformational moment that was the the moment when i really felt like i could process and and god gave me healing i think it's such a common problem with people that we and we don't even know it because nobody talks about it but i i know for sure that there are a lot of people out there that can relate to exactly what you went through as a youngster and those same emotions that they carried and and how hard that has to be, um, you know, to, that's something that you could focus on all of your life. You could focus on those scars and never really look at anything as a trophy. You could, you could choose to always be negative, but I know you as a wonderful human being that you are, those were definitely formative things that you went through. They are something that made you who you are, and that's part of your story, and I think that's what makes people relate to you very well. 
and what draws a lot of women into your life that want they are seeking your wisdom because you've gone through these things and you um, have been able to process them pretty effectively but I guess my question is how at a young age did you look at anything as a trophy when you were carrying such heaviness and I mean let me just tell you from my perspective I never went through any of this stuff I never had abusive anybody in my family nobody was abused in my family um, we, we weren't exposed to alcohol nobody even smoked I mean it was like my grandparents smoked but they had to do it outside when when they were at our house and you know, there was the discussion about alcohol, but we never saw it in our home, and there was no drugs, and there was none of this stuff. And my parents were married until my mom died, and and they probably would have been married to this day had had mm-hmm. she not died. Um, my dad's happily married to another wonderful lady now, and they're you know, it's just that's how he's lived his his life, and that's what I saw. I didn't see the the roller coaster that you did. So how did you go from? those scars and trying to heal because those are open wounds and I don't know how long it took for those scars to heal those wounds to heal I Um, would have to say that truly for me and I think that that's what I take with me as a strength to this moment is I'm just so authentic and real like it was just so real to go through that and I knew that I had to find a way to process it and for me actually growing up in the Catholic church and hearing about who Jesus was like I it was like a magnet I just like was drawn right to it and that hope and the and just the love of Jesus that I had heard about was like everything that I needed and wanted Mm -hmm. and so I did everything that I could to really draw myself to that and you know I believe in James where it says you know, draw when you draw close to God, that like He draws near to you. And I, I really felt the love of God from the earliest age. And you know, like I tell people often, it it was that space in my life where I knew Jesus so deeply in my heart. I can't even really put a finger on it. I mean, I would sleep with an eight by ten picture of Jesus around my heart. Like that is how. I felt so loved by him and so safe. And when that, you know, representation came to me as like, okay, this is who Jesus is. I was like, yeah, I know who Jesus is. Like, that's who I talk to. That's who I pray to. Like, he's my best friend. Like, it was just, that's how I walked through that pain. It was like, I didn't have anybody else to talk to, but I literally learned in the Catholic school how to pray and who Jesus was. And I heard the message of hope. And when you need hope and you hear it, like your ears are open to it, like versus I think sometimes when people don't need it and they hear it, like they don't realize like your ears. Like, like I think about like you growing up and being raised in Baptist church and hearing about Jesus and all those things like you, you heard about it, but it wasn't like you were really listening to a point where it was like, oh, really? Like, like thirsty, like when you go to a well and you're so thirsty, and you're like, there's water at the well. And you're like, unless you're really thirsty for the water at the well. You don't dip your cup in the water and get it. You're like, oh, that's a pretty well. Like, that looks so nice there. That must serve a lot of people. But, like, if you're really thirsty and you're like, give me some of that water. It was like, that's where I was. Mm. And so when, you know, when walking through that, 
I started memorizing. And then I think too, one of the biggest things is we lived next to one of the many houses. I honestly don't know how many houses we lived in, but one of the houses we lived in and we lived next to a Baptist camp and I was invited to Awana's and I started memorizing the Bible and I had a Bible and I would just read and read and read the Bible and Mm -hmm. memorize scriptures. And that really became my hope. And so I think I learned at a young age, like how to process emotions. I became emotionally intelligent from a young age out of a need to survive. And I learned how to study people and study and learn myself. Like I think I was really, I was forced into, because it was just myself and I was processing all these emotions and I was a deep person born that way. I knew that I had to figure out how to make this work. Mm -hmm. And so I did whatever I I had around, my resources around, and that was who Jesus was and the Bible that I was learning about, and that became my strength. Yeah. And I think, too, I, one of the things that I, you know, what I resonate with a lot is I would much rather see your scars and your trophies just because I know that personally for me, like, I, I can feel like I could relate like if it's all about just all the things and and don't get me wrong because I've since then strived to have great things where I feel like affirmed and I have those accolades cuz because I didn't have it much growing up that like I desired so much to gain those things but in the reality and the depth of my soul I would much rather see your scars and your trophies because then I'm like okay like you're you're deep like you've been through crap and you know how to yeah. get through to the other side I'm with you. I I really feel like the scars are what really defines a person because if they're either going to make it through it and become a better person for it or they're going to stumble over that same issue for the rest of their lives. And I think that's really what defines people. I I know for sure um, when it comes to trophies, that's what people like to show off. But ultimately, that's not what makes them who they are. That's just something that they were able to accomplish which takes a lot of hard work, but the overcoming aspect of the scars is really, to me, the deeper part of the person. Yeah, and I think just understanding the difference between wounds and scars, you know, if it's still, mm-hmm. when it's brought up and it still, like, pulls your heart and it still kind of feels raw or feels like it's still oozing, like, if, you know, when you're walking through and you're retelling a story and it still, like, fires you up, like, mm-hmm. you hear somebody's name and you're just, like, ready to, like, rage, like, you haven't really healed from that. Like that's still an open wound. Like there's mm-hmm. still more, more healing that needs to be done. And so I think it's, it's really important to assess the difference between scars and wounds and where you are in the journey of, you know, how you post evaluate where you're at in that trial. You know, is this still like, is it still a wound or is it a scar? I think about, you know, our son Levi and one of his biggest scars like sometimes those scars the visibility and the external has no relationship to the internal whereas internal wounds and and scars are so deep and people Mm -hmm. don't see them I I mean I think I I just remember one time I had this like black oil on me too and like oh are you okay like what is that and I was like what are you even talking about and it's like if we could see all of our internal scars mm-hmm. on the external like how much more we would perhaps hopefully have empathy and compassion for people but you just you know back to Levi he has a huge scar on his arm 
Yeah, it looks like a shark bit his arm. But ultimately, 40 plus stitches. And ultimately, it was just he fell off a trampoline and cut his arm. Didn't really learn much from that other than how to take a needle to the arm so he could get stitched up. I mean, that ultimately, he just toughened up and had to deal with the scar. But now, or, or the wound. And it's a big scar. And it's a huge scar, and everybody can see it. And people ask him all the time what happened. And, you know, sometimes he just jokes with him and says, well, I got bit by a shark when I was down in Mexico in the ocean. And it's just funny to him to say things like that because people believe it. It does look like a little shark bit his arm. Um but there wasn't a, a huge lesson in that scar, in that wound. Yeah. Whereas I'm sure there are other internal wounds that he has oh, huge. that you can't see the scar. You can't see anything, but that's the struggle. That's the real internal struggle and battle that he's trying to overcome as a 12-year-old boy. And, um, and those are the things that Kelsey and I are talking about that really define who we are as we go through life. So what's a memory of one of your first... Well, hold on. I want to hear what your first trophy what is your first memory of a trophy? So one of my my first memory of trophy, and I I go back to these often because, so abuse, abandonment, you know, kind of those things. And then growing up, I was always told I needed to be held back in school because I didn't really have the home life that really supported me doing well in school. Like I, when I went home, like it was not read books, study, do your homework. I was know by myself and then we would go to my mom's events all those things so I never really was affirmed in my intelligence I was actually told like how I was not smart and I knew internally though that I was really smart like I always felt like I I could do really good if I had the support and so I was 16 and my mom died um and then like it was it launched me into this space like, okay, this is, this is it. This is the making or the breaking of me. Like, what am I going to do? And I decided that I was going to just pour myself into making myself a better person and just rise above this. I was like, I am going to prove to the world that I can make it and that I can be amazing. And, and so one of the biggest trophies for me was coming through school Raising, you know, coming through the top, graduated number two in my class, and I gave my graduation speech, and I, it was, you know, the the famous um, Robert Frost, right? Two two roads diverge, and I took the one less traveled, uh, and and I I spoke on that, and it was like I had so many people come up to me after that was the best, you know, talk conversation speech we've ever heard blah 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 and I was like oh like I was just so affirmed that I was intelligent and that I could speak and that and also I think too graduating you know the senior most and I I got the the most likely to succeed in most athletic like through uh, finally during that time it's just like I, it was giving it was that pivot point like okay what are you going to make of yourself what are you going to do like you are a only child. Now you have just your dad. Your mom's gone. Like you could just kind of wallow in your sorrow or you could pivot. And so for me, like that was that was a transformational moment where then I rose to it and I became student council president and it was just like I was so affirmed. And for me, all growing up, I wasn't affirmed. I kept seeking affirmation like I could do it. Like I I had what it took. <laughs> And I just always felt like I did it. And then finally, I did. And those, mm. I mean, 
I know I spoke of a few trophies, like it's my sports and, and becoming all state and state champion and cross country and, you know, all those things. But like, finally it was like, it launched me into, I'm a champion. I'm going to rise to the top. I'm going to finish this race and I'm going to win and I'm going to win in my school and I'm going to win in my sports. And those became my two things. And I really just was so affirmed in that. And it really became an identity marker. And I think that's really in our scars and trophies. You, you come to places where they can become identity markers where Mm. it's like, okay, this is not who I am or, okay, this is who I am. And I finally felt like this is who I am. Like I am intelligent and I am an athlete and I do have what it takes and people really like me. (laughs) <laughs> and I think I, I can see where that has really been a defining moment in your life because you have, ever since I've known you, you've had this desire to speak publicly and to have a strong message to send out to whoever's listening. And I think that came from that speech where you got positive feedback from all those people saying, that was wonderful. You have a gift of speaking in front of people and and having a message that you know can transform people's lives. I think that's mm-hmm. wonderful. And you know, and and really for people to know your history and your background and to be able to overcome all those things and and really be a successful entrepreneur, mother of six, just a go-getter, um, that says a lot about who you are inside, you know, that you could have totally gone the other way. You could have been a statistic, easily been a statistic, but because you're mentally tough and willing to go through all those hard times. And just grind it out until you can finally see the light at the end of the tunnel and make it there. I mean, that tells tells me a lot about who you are inside. And um, and hopefully our kids, who are probably our biggest critics, one of these days they're going to recognize that for what it is. I know it's I hard think sometimes. But... Yeah, and they're also, I think, one of our greatest fans too. Because they That's really, yeah. they really, I mean, it's just a natural process because they're for part kids. of our home. Because, yeah. Kids always do that with parents. But, yeah, I see them in so many aspects. I mean, they were sitting there last night. Oh, Dad, you're such a great catch. And you're this. And you're so sexy. And you're blah, blah, blah. And you look. And like, they're, they're so full of it. <laughs> uh, they're like, They just Mom. wanted ice cream after pizza. No. <clears throat> we have such a great relationship with our kids because we are so real and, and raw yeah. with them. But, yeah, I mean, truly, I had, I would say I had 90% greater chance of being a statistic than oh, I did of being sure. a champion. Like from the time I remember I was getting knocked down. I was getting punched and knocked down. Like I did not have any, I did not really have anything really going for me. Like You, de- you never really had a steady not. home. You never had a steady relationship with both parents. You lived in 25 different homes the time you grew up until the point I met you. I mean, all of those things add up to most likely a statistic. Yeah, where and, you were going to get on drugs and you're going to end up in a place you don't want to be. And you never did that. You always maintained focus throughout all of that. And that's impressive to me. I think that's probably, <clears throat> ultimately, that's what I was attracted to. I was like, this woman has something unique that I want to be around for the rest of my life. This is amazing to me. And the more I got to know you, the more I was amazed. You yeah, know, and it was my scars. It, it was always my... the scars. Yeah, <laughs> it was always because... like, wow, you did what? You went through that? You What? And like every time you open a new page to me, I was like, what? That happened and you made it? How did you, like, how are you getting straight A's in college? How did you make it here? This is crazy to me. And I don't know. I just, I still think it's amazing. It's totally God. It's completely God. Compared and to I... my Leave it to Beaver lifestyle when I grew up. And I think so that's different. that's really like the heart of what we're trying to relate. Like, 
And that's my message, the miracle and and what I really want to share with the world is like, no matter what, your story has a miracle. I mean, I, that pivot point where I was like, okay, I have what it takes. God, take the wheel. Like, let's go. Like, I'm going to rise to the top and you're going to take me there. And I, I mean, nobody's story is finished until the moment you take your last breath. Mm -hmm. And so there's always hope. And there's always a miracle and God is so faithful. And that's my story. Like God is faithful and you see the faithfulness of God, I think more in your scars when you come through that and you triumph rather than always things just going good for you. And you're like trophy after trophy and you're like, oh, I'm so, Mm. you know, and I think that's really where we want people to feel like, you know, there's never a space where there is the end of the story where you feel like, you know, I'm just, I have all these scars. Like your scars can be identity markers. They can be growing, you know, they're, they, they really launch you into that. So Preston Mercer, what's the memory of one of your first scars? Um, you know, I think the biggest scar growing up for me is you remember the term latchkey kid. You were probably a latchkey kid too where you get done with school, you ride the bus or however you get home, and you open the door and there's nobody there. And and to me, that happened my entire grade school career. I was, if you call it a career, I don't know. All the way up until I was 12, 13 years old. I went home every day after school, and I was always ravenously hungry. And what I would eat when I had no one around, and even when parents were around, they didn't care what I ate. So it was just I what would, was there, right? I would eat a bag of Doritos, the whole bag, when I got home. Or I would, I loved Oreo cookies. And I would eat the whole flat of Oreo cookies. <laughs> Shut up. I would. I would eat like, okay, I'm going to only eat this row. And then I would be like, no, I'm still hungry. I'm going to eat that row. And I would get a glass of milk and I would dunk each one in a glass of milk. And I would like relish my Oreo cookies. Long story short, I got fat. I was a fat kid and I got fat shamed all the time in school. I I distinctly remember um, being a a big kid that wanted to be athletic and I was not. I, I was athletic on the inside, but I was so overweight. I could not be athletic. And that was super frustrating for me because I felt like people were judging me based on my appearance and not my desires, right? Which is, I mean, that's fair. That's what people do. That's that's just reality of life. Thank God that testosterone <laughs> hit when I was 13, and I lost a lot of that body fat. That's and crazy. And I grew up into, and I got, I really got into weightlifting. I had this, mm-hmm. um, this yeah. grade school teacher of mine, his name is Bruce Hott, and I, I will always remember Bruce Hott because he opened the gym for me every single day of the mm-hmm. summer, and I would ride my bike to the gym, and I would work out with a couple of my buddies, one specific friend named Brent, and we would work out every single day mm-hmm. under Bruce Hott's tutelage. I didn't know how to work out, and he taught me how to work out, and I transformed my body from a fat tub to, <laughs> I actually grew muscles, and I was like, wow, this is cool, and I got fast. I was quick on my feet and I became athletic and I I became that person that I always wanted to be that you watched on the screen that I watched on ESPN every day I was like I want to be one of those baseball players that has muscles and hits a ball over the fence well when I the day I turned 14 uh it was May 14th I can't remember what year but it was a long time ago 
1990, somewhere in there. I turned 14. Your golden I had birthday, a, 14 on the 14th. Yeah, and so I didn't did even know a, what a golden birthday was until we had kids. <laughs> I missed it, but I celebrated it with yeah. uh, a doubleheader baseball game. The coolest thing about this is that my dad's dad was there. So this there. is a trophy. This is my trophy. Okay. So I melted off the pounds, and I worked really hard. And the day I turned 14, literally my birthday, had a doubleheader baseball game in Payson. And my, my dad's dad was there, my grandpa. And I wanted to impress him, and I hit two home runs. One of them was over the green monster <laughs> in the field, which it, you have to hit a ball a very long ways to get it over the green monster. It was like 350, 360 feet or something like that. And I crushed a ball and just way over that sucker. And I thought, wow, I, I've kind of arrived. I've made it to what I wanted to be. I actually can do the things mm-hmm. I want to do through a ton of hard work and effort and mm-hmm. God giving me testosterone too. You know, I mean, that was really ultimately what changed my, my life. But that desire, like you talked about, that desire to strive and to be better and to make something of myself was there. Um, and to this day, I, I, I have that same striving and desire to not let my body go. And, you know, I'm a dad of six and I could have this easily fall into the dad bod thing, but I fight that every day. I work out hard every day, most of the time, twice a day. And, you know, it's something that I've, it's changed me into trying to maintain something that could easily fall away. Yeah. And I think it's interesting watching that process though, because I know it's such a deep scar and sometimes it can surface Mm. because because our world is so body image focused, you know, and like every day you are, and as an athlete and being married to an athlete mm-hmm. and a trainer, you know, it's and like six athletic kids that all have ab contests with their mother. <laughs> let's, let's not be silly here. The reality is I have the worst abs of the whole family. My kids have a six pack. My wife has a 12 pack. I don't. I'm trying to gain the, the top two still. I told my wife yesterday, she laughed at me. I'm like, I'm trying to be able to see my stomach muscles. I've had a couple of knee surgeries and I haven't been able to do as much cardio. And I haven't seen my stomach muscles in four years. And yeah. I'm trying really hard. And you're she just really laughed at me. It was like it no, was funny. No, you're doing really good. You're doing your Pilates rolls up, roll, roll-ups finally instead of a roll. What did they tell you this morning? Roll-up. What's so sore? I did 300 sit-ups yesterday. My abs are really sore. So it's interesting, though, watching you like that scar had transformed into a trophy. But yet, like there's still because our world is so entrenched in body image, like mm-hmm. it can like prick you so fast. You oh, know? yeah. Like if Comes like, back, you're, yeah, you're so sure. I think and a lot of times when those scars can be so deep and yet and, and they're not like so um like some scars that we have can just kind of fall away into hidden gaps because they're not talked about in the mm-hmm. world around so much. And like not everybody struggles with it, but everybody struggles with weight. And when you've really had, uh, and I wouldn't say struggle, but like it's just something that you think about every day because yeah. every time you think about your eating or your exercising or like, you know, everybody, and it becomes like your identity in so many ways. I it had to shouldn't, change. Well, yeah, but, but I had does. to change how I thought about food and how I thought about what food did for my body instead of just I eat food because it tastes good, which is what I did for my first 12 years of my life. I, ha- I had to change that to I eat food for a fuel source and how and that to heal your body. And that's where works with my body, not against my body, right? There's, I mean, there's a whole different mindset that my family didn't walk me through. 
Right. I didn't know what a good diet was until I met you. I had no idea that carbs made me fat. I was like, really? I thought well, fat yeah. made me fat. And then we went through a whole process of my autoimmune where like we and everybody kept saying, I don't understand how you're getting sick. Like you're so healthy. And mm. it was like then that took on a whole other layer of healing because right. it was then understanding food, not just as like fat or healthy, but from a point of healing. And we came into now eating our foods to heal our body mm-hmm. and to give us the greatest vibrant strength and renewal versus just being strong or fit. And I see that so much. Like, you know, I, I recently went to a mastermind and this like icon of physical just, you know, he's just the representation supposedly and i we go out to eat and he's ordering diet cokes and that's what he wants and i'm thinking okay this is such a ironic situation here's like the icon of quote health in a lot of men's eyes and and he's you know a representation in fitness and in the business world too of fitness and yet like his diet is not to heal his body it's just it's it's really approached of just his physique mm-hmm. and so you know that can be a, that's a whole nother conversation so we're taking a sidetrack let's get back <clears throat> on track so as we kind of bring this into conclusion we wanted to share about you know what we what we hope that you can take from this and what we feel like we've really evaluated as a way of going from this space of scars and trophies and really in comparison. So trophies and scars. Trophies become, number one, either a place where you compare and critique yourself with others. And it becomes a, a space where you're, you, if you're given a trophy, you're like, oh, I'm, I'm the best. I'm better than you. I, I have, you know, if you're, you're taking it like that, you could always see it in a different filter. They really become your filters through which you see yourself or you can see others, right? Yeah. You know, I just, I had a thought too about trophies and, you know, I've listened to a lot of people, a lot of podcasts of people that have got the best trophies in the world, like won the Super Bowl. And they got there and they're like, I don't feel any different. I'm the same person I was yesterday. And, Mm -hmm. you know, why does this trophy define me? It doesn't define me. I'm not any different than I was before I had this trophy. I've just actually made it because of unique circumstances and a desire to win and a desire to be good at this one thing. But ultimately, that doesn't define who I am as a person. And then they realize... But they were looking for it to define them. Exactly. And, and it then didn't. they realized and then they that were it like, didn't. Why is it empty feeling when I get to the top and I still don't feel like I'm at the top? Like that, that's a hard thing for a lot of people mm-hmm. um, to recognize that th- those trophies don't define you. Your everyday character defines you. And actually scars end up actually... Scars define you because, a lot more. Yeah, because you, you end up going into a deep place of evaluating, like, what does it take to get out of this place? And yep. you really find out what you're made of and what you really are. Versus trophies, it's like you come to a situation, you're like, this is what I'm made of and this is what I'm going to prove. And then you prove it and you're like, well, I don't know. Did it really prove? Did it really... Was that really like a test that... It really proved like... Or even my... the whole imposter syndrome. Have you heard it? I'm sure you've heard oh, of that. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Where you 
you feel like somebody's going to find out I'm not really who I am, even though I've got all these amazing trophies. Yeah. Because ultimately, that's not who I am. I'm yeah. defined by other things. And they really struggle with all the other same things. There's nothing new under the sun. Yeah. We all struggle with a lot of the same things, and we all face the same battles in our mind. But sometimes, you know, everybody just has a little different journey, and you all have a little de- different deck of cards that we're dealt with. And, mm-hmm. you know, trophies, if your trophy becomes your focus, you're always comparing and critiquing yourself with others. And we know that that is a paralyzer and a killer. It's a poison that can end up really you know, making you feel like, oh, okay, well, I have this trophy and now I still feel like an imposter or I still feel like I haven't really overcome anything other Mm -hmm. than I have this trophy. And, you know, going back to even Garrett, he's like, I I, I just, I remember, you know, one day we were in his room and a lot of his other friends were there and they were looking at stuff and he's like, mom, why is this chest trophy so big? Like, why? Like, it's, this means nothing to me and all these other things. They're so small, like these rings and these like pins and from, you know, baseball or whatever. And it's kind of like, uh, that trophy means nothing to me. Like, okay. You know, and that's why I'm like, show me your scars. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, the one thing that you can do if you're always focusing on your scars though, and you don't really come to a place of healing is you stay in a place of victimhood. Right. And so that's our first point to take away. If you're in a focus of trophies, maybe you're in that struggle of comparing and critiquing, or maybe you're in a place of feeling like you're facing your scars right now um, and overcoming the victim mentality. Mm -hmm. You know, the other thing too, if you focus on trophies too much is your ego can be, gets to get too large. And then, Mm -hmm. then you're living based every day is based on ego alone. And that's not healthy either. We know that. Yeah. And the flip side of that, scars, when you're when you're healing from scars, it really becomes not the ego, but the echo of your heart because, you know, it's like it still beats. Like you're resilient. Mm-hmm. It becomes like the echo. Like you're like in that dark place and you're like, my heart's still beating. Like I still can do it. I can still do it. And it's like the, the beat or the heart, the, the soul of a person becomes just like, what you're just like, boom, boom, boom. You know, it's like, it makes you feel like you're still alive. And it also becomes that, and when I think about the echo of the heart, it becomes that place where you can empathize and have more compassion. Like if you're more of a heartbound versus a headbound person, um, you're, you're more relatable. And, you know, I just think about people that have ego and they seem like they have it all together. I'm like, Oh, you know, you get kind of repulsed by them. Such because, a turn off. Huh? Yeah. And then they think like, let me show you, let me, let me tell you how it's all about stuff. I, yeah. And then like versus the echo of somebody's heart and, kind of learning, you know, hearing their story, you're kind of like, it draws you in. You're like, oh, you're, you know, when people lead with their heart, it draws you to them. For sure. And finally, our third point with our takeaway here, are trophies and scars is if you're always focusing on the trophies, not a bad thing or a good thing, uh, but you're a, you're a hero. And the focus on the scars you're really focusing on the healing. So Preston, for me, like I look at you and you're like a hero. Like mm-hmm. you're a hero Stop in so it. many ways. So you're a battalion fire chief and 
you know, growing up, like when you're a little kid, like you want to grow up and you want to be a firefighter. If you want to like the heroes, the policemen, the firefighters, we still believe policemen are fire are heroes too. Just, just to set that straight in our home, (laughs) fire and policemen are heroes. And you know, if you're, it's not about the military, the real heroes, they get shot at. Yeah, and, and, we, and we have a family of military. I was raised yeah, by a Marine. For so sure. I, I, the, hero, the hero mindset is definitely in my blood with mm-hmm. Marine and, you know, long-standing, actually, family blood um, in, our, in our family. But, uh, you know, that's not a bad thing. When you're, when you're a hero, you, you, you know, you're, you're getting your trophies and some, some things are, I think you understand, too, as the hero for you. I don't know, maybe you could speak to this. Like, your trophy is so much different when you're a hero. It's not, like, something, like, you get all the publicity and all the accolades. Like, like for a hero to really serve as a hero, their trophy is sometimes totally, you know, behind the scenes. Like, well, you are just, so behind the scenes yeah, hero. Yeah, let's get one thing straight. I don't consider myself a hero. But I do consider myself having... But most having, heroes don't. I have a set of skills that a lot of people don't have. It's very specialized. I don't I'm not, I don't have broad set of skills, but the skills I have are designed to protect and and you know, basically protect communities from fires, from wildfires. That's what I do. And I, sometimes I feel like I make good decisions. Most of the time I feel like I make good decisions when I'm in charge of a fire around a community. Um, but I don't look at that as a heroic thing it's just something that I've learned how well, to do well over the years um, if you're standing on the other side of it in your house the Schultz fire the whatever the last fire we had the museum the fire. museum fire like you were in charge of making all of those decisions of how t- this would impact Flagstaff so like for those people whose homes are saved you're their hero because of the things that you put into place so, well, yeah, don't and there's, minimize a, that. there's a lot of decisions made behind the scenes that nobody knows. I mean, we made decisions on the museum fire not to burn out certain sections that would have for sure flooded out homes after the fire. And I knew that going into it, if we burn that piece out, and which is a technique that we use to stop fires, it's, and it's okay to do that, but you have to look beyond the fire to the thunderstorms that are coming in the in the mm. rain and everything because mm. a lot of times it's not the fire that wipes out the community it's the flood after the fire and if you don't That's think about that then you just mm. go fight the fire with tactics that are completely approved by everybody and everybody thinks it's great and then the thunderstorm hits two weeks after the fire's out and everybody's house gets flooded that first two or three rows of houses just get wiped out and i know for a fact we made a very good decision not to burn out because the fire was hung up in some stuff and you know i don't want to get hung up on these things but those are the kind of decisions that people don't realize that are they weigh heavy on me because i know i either have to if i don't burn this out and the fire comes down and burns down some homes tonight or tomorrow that's on me because i didn't do what i should have done but if i do burn this out i know for a fact that we're going to have some flooding issues after the fact so what is the best thing to do and fortunately, in that decision, we made the right decision, and it was a collective decision. But but that whole process, that's interesting. There's so many things from that. Like, that whole process, if you're all about the ego, and you're all about the spotlight, and you you're all about, you just do, like, in the moment. Like, yeah. you don't have the foresight to see, okay, here's the fire, but there's the flood that's going to come. Like, mm-hmm. you, when you are really that person that is a hero, you're not just in the moment of getting the, the biggest, like, because you... 
I mean, there's you get a lot of pressure from the outside of like oh, yeah. what decision to make for the just the present moment, and then you get you have to be thick skinned to be resilient to deal with all the questioning and all the harpooning on like that was the wrong thing to do, and yeah. you're like, oh, I really believe it's the right thing to do, but you know, like if you're just focused on getting the trophy then you're going to be a people pleaser. And when you're a leader, you cannot be a people pleaser. You have to be willing to think, okay, the trophy I really want right now is not the, the people trophy. It's the community, like the whole. And when you see that mindset, you have to have the foresight and the vision to look beyond the present Mm -hmm. and not please people. Because if you're just looking for the trophy and pleasing people, you're going to make the decision in the moment. But when you're that true hero leader, you have to do, like you have to take in all of the. Well, I would define myself as a servant leader. I honestly don't look at myself as a hero leader. That's not what I look at doing. And I think the ultimate thing, the difference is, uh, the difference between a hero and a servant leader is you're looking down the road. You're not looking for the immediate gratification of, Hey, I want to be on the newspaper. I want to be on TV. I want to get interviewed and tell people what I did. I don't want any of that stuff. What I want to know is when I lay my head down at night, did I make the right decision for the community, not just for me? That's the biggest difference. And I, you know, I don't want to be in the spotlight. I've never wanted to be in the spotlight. You know that probably better than anybody. I'm not ever looking to be front and center on anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to do the best job I can do. And I appreciate what people say when they say, I, I understand where they're coming from when they say hero. But ultimately, the, I think the police officers are the heroes. I think the military are the heroes. Those are the guys and gals that go out there every day knowing that there's a chance they're not going to come back. And that's there's a big difference there. There's a lot of times where I felt like I wasn't sure if you were going to come back too. You know, I don't know. That's a true hero though when you don't, when you understand that you're a servant and and you put the the honor where it's due on other people not yourself and like that's why I think I have so much respect and admiration for you too it's just that humble and when you really are like when you really do get the trophies in life they come from a humble space of not being a hero for the the heroic moment of you know attention but the humble space of of, and that becomes your trophy when you just, you know, can feel the honor of of doing the right thing in a, in a humble spirit. Mm-hmm. When you are in the space of healing from scars, so, you know, trophies, we have the, the hero becomes the focus. And in scars, the healing becomes a focus. And I know I feel like I've, even my mission today is putting the heel back into health. Mm-hmm. You know, so much of my passion and mission in life moving forward is is healing and it's healing physically it's transforming the mindset of fitness to not being about the ego but being about the you know the purpose of transformation in the healing of mindset so that it's not you know these deep wounds and struggles of body image and identity but really you know what is all those purposes of healing our mind and understanding the purpose of movement and healing our emotions and all the emotions that I went through growing up and being exposed to so many different things and uh, you know the the physical the mental the emotional the spiritual ultimately our process in life is coming to that place of 
and I say this in a deeply spiritual sense of evolving, not like in a, you know, evolving kind of, you know, mystical kind of way, but like truly evolving to that space of every day you are transforming. And when we address our scars, our purpose is not to stay in the space of being a victim and, and letting your story just be your highlight, but really coming to the other side of the story and giving other people hope. And when you stay in a scar, you always feel like you're wounded or you always want to have um, that affirmation from people or, you know, it, it can be a really, if you are always focusing on your scars, people don't want to always hear about your scars. Like mm-hmm. they want to hear about the hope and the healing. And, and that's where I feel like I've been launched into this space of giving, I mean, more than ever, our world is in need of healing and more than ever we need hope. And it's not one space, it's a holistic hope. Um, there's so many deep wounds and some are raw and some are scars, but so, you know, everybody. And that's where I, I think about just when we look at people, if we can just come from a place of not ego, but echo of like, of listening every body, like that's truly what I believe. Every body has a story. And if you could see the the internal scars on people on the external, maybe we would be moved to having a little bit more, I mean, hopefully we would be moved to having a little bit more compassion and understanding for people and not just always wanting to focus on, oh, I like that person because of their house, because of their car, because, oh, they have money, maybe, you know, because, you know, the truth of the matter is when people have money or they have a lot of trophies, that's what makes people famous and you want to know them, you want to be in their circle. Like not very many people want to be in the circle of people who've been through a lot of crap. (laughs) But really the people that I think are most resilient and strong in so many ways come to that space of just that humble hero versus, Mm -hmm. you know, that space of the quiet people that don't brag about anything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You never really know somebody's story. And that's where we want to leave you today with understanding and having that filter of, of having compassion for people and, and hearing their story and not just being attracted to the trophy, but being still enough to listen to, you know, people's stories and understanding that we all have a story. One of my favorite, favorite verses as we kind of close um, is from the Psalms and it is, I think Psalm 22. Um, you taught me to trust you um, at my mother's. Let's see, Psalm 22. Yet you brought me safely from my mother's womb. You led me to trust you when I was a nursing infant. I was thrust upon you at my birth. You have been my God from the moment I was born. That has been just such an anchor for my soul. And we leave you today with just the inspiration that you are chosen, that you are created for God's purpose, design, and plan. And when you have that hope that 
you know, God is for you. He is not against you. That all things work together for his good. That you can trust him from the moment that you were born. That his story, that he is authoring your story. And that he desires to bring all things together for your good. And when you have that ultimate thread, it's not about the trophies. It's not about the scars. It's about just leaning into God and believing him for your story. Thank you for joining us today. We're so thankful. Yeah. And so thankful. I love you. So thankful that we could share our story. Share your story. Know your, know your family story. Sit down at the fireside and grow together. Share your scars and trophies. Until next time, keep the fire burning. Thank you for joining us on today's Our Firesides podcast. As we continue to strive to bring you relevant content, feel free to communicate with us with any questions, comments, or thoughts. Any resources or helpful tips will be included in our show notes. We look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, keep the fire burning.